you guys can have a seat. Well, hey, good morning. Welcome to Grace City. If I hadn't had a chance to meet yet, my name's David. I'm the teaching pastor here. Thank you so much for being here and being a part of our community. For the month of November, we've been turning our attention to the spiritual discipline, to the spiritual practice of gratitude. And we've talked about how we want to cultivate and really develop this practice within our lives because it's really, it is foundational to the Christian faith, this notion of gratitude. So if you're here and you describe yourself as a follower of Christ, this, this is, we should know then that our response to the gospel is one of trust, trust in the gospel, and it's also one of gratitude. Because we've, we've talked about how, really, how we've defined gratitude for the run of this series is gratitude is our response to the person and work of Jesus. So our response to the gospel is both trust and gratitude. Gratitude acknowledges that we're in need. Gratitude says I, I, there's a need in my life, and for us in the gospel, it's our sin. We see that we're broken. We see that we're fallen. We know that we are in need. And so we look to Christ, and we see that we need him to work and move on our behalf. And we see, when we see what he's done for us, how he's loved us, the grace that he's been given, the sacrifice that he's provided, and how that brings about forgiveness of sin and, and brings us uh, uh, into the family of God. We see that. It fosters a deep-seated gratitude and appreciation for who he is and for what he's done on our behalf. And truthfully, even more after hearing Allie talk about the work that they do in hard places, you know, it, it makes me think about the redemption that Christ is bringing on uh, just, just an epic level, right? Because not only do we have gratitude to Christ for how he frees us from our sin, but you hear those stories of brokenness and you hear those stories of just the, the rampant sinfulness that would cause such a need for hard places to exist. But then you look at that and there's part of you that think, man, how hopeless is this that there's this much darkness in this world. But then you hear the stories of redemption that's happening. You hear the stories of, of kids coming out of that. You hear the stories of, of families seeing and coming to know Christ. And it calls us to the truth, right? I mean, there's the hope of the gospel that every expression of sinfulness and brokenness and heartache that we see in this world, we know that is on the clock. It is going to go away. One day there will be no more tears shed over that brokenness. One day, one day there will be no more pain and suffering in that way because we know that Christ will redeem all, restore all, and, and will show us the full hope of the kingdom of God. And so when we think on that, then it brings us gratitude in the moment that we know even the hurt that we see, we know it's on borrowed time. And, and so it, 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 that really dovetails with what we learned in our series last month on Lament. There's grief, there's mourning, there's suffering over what we see. We know that it's wrong, that it's off, it's not as it should be, but yet still there's something that stirs, and it's hope, and it's joy, and it's gratitude, knowing that what is broken is on borrowed time, that God is bringing about the renewal. He's bringing about the renewal of all things and all of creation, and even the renewal in our lives. And so our response to the gospel it is one of trust that this is happening, and it is one of gratefulness for Christ, for the, who he is, the work that he has done, is doing, and will bring into fruition. I, I think with that, though, it can make gratitude in some ways feel like, okay, if, if, if it's foundational to the Christian faith, then if I place my faith in Christ, then gratitude should just be something that we intuitively know how to do, or like we should be experts at it off of day one. And I've talked about the past few weeks how Sometimes that can make me have a sense of guilt and a sense of shame because, like, I just, I would not describe myself as a grateful person. <laughs> like, you know, I think about my mom. She's, like, writing thank you notes all the time. And so, like, there's other people in my life that I feel like are better um, uh, role models for people of gratitude. And I look at myself and I think, man, there's, I, I have so, so much room to grow in this. 
that I can feel guilty over it. Then we can have that, that, that sense of shame with it. But look, this is what we've said over the run of this too. We're calling it a practice. It is a spiritual discipline. And as such, that means we can grow in it. It means we can develop this practice. It means that we can cultivate it with some intentionality in our lives. And so that's what we're doing in the series. We're talking about what it is, what does it look like, what are obstacles to it, um, what, what, what vices it stops in our lives. And we're even uh, looking at what are some of the virtues and the fruits that it produces in our lives. Because whether you realize it or not, gratitude is a, it's a spiritual, it's a, it's a gateway spiritual discipline or a parent virtue. Uh, grati- and what I mean by that is gratitude leads to things. It leads to generosity. It leads to selflessness. It leads to kindness. It leads to gentleness. It can even lead to service to others. And it's because when gratitude is there, it can lead to so many other fruits in our lives. It can bolster our faith, strengthen our love for the Lord, strengthen our love for others. So it's, it's a parent virtue. Um, I don't know if you remember all the, like, the after-school specials about drug use. It talks about marijuana being the gateway drug. It leads to all the harder drugs. Um, same thing about gratitude. It leads to all the harder disciplines. And so um, that got more of a chuckle first service than it did second service. And so uh, maybe, I don't know if that's the right illustration I needed to use, but you can definitely use it in thinking about the negative, right? So if, if gratitude's lacking, if it's ingratitude, then that is a gateway to all sorts of other vices. That, that, there's a gateway to, uh, we talked about last week, it leads to envy, it leads to a sense of entitlement. Um, if there's ingratitude there, it can lead to pride, materialism, greed, abuse of power. It can lead to idolatry. Uh, and, and just overall, it can just lead to just ignoring or forgetting the provision of God and his goodness in your life. When you look to scripture, there, 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 there seems to be example after example of God's people being criticized uh, because they forget or they falsely remember how God has worked, and how God has moved on their behalf. And oftentimes when you see this critique of them, it is is oftentimes attributed to an ungrateful heart. They experienced the goodness of God. There was a blessing or a kindness received, and then there was this gap between when they received it and when they acknowledged it or when they expressed their gratitude for it. And and, and with that gap, or maybe, maybe they don't even acknowledge it. Maybe there's a refusal to acknowledge it was God's work in their life. Or maybe there's a refusal to, to notice. As we talked about last week, there's a refusal to see how God has worked. And so there's this gap, and in that gap, they forget or they falsely remember and they are viewed correctly, and I think correctly, I might add, they are viewed as, as being ungrateful, of it, having a heart of ingratitude. And it leads to all these different expressions of brokenness and sinfulness uh, before the Lord. One place we're seeing an example of this, if you're kind of tr- struggling to see where I'm going with this, is in Psalm 106. Psalm 106 this is going to be our primary text for the day. So go ahead and make your way there. Psalm 106. Uh, so let me set the scene for what we're coming in on, on this text, or give you the context for, what we're lear- for what the psalm that we're in. It's loosely connected, or not loosely, it's, this is pretty much the same context that we've been in for about the past seven, eight weeks. Um, uh, in our lament series, and even some of uh, the first two weeks of this, we've talked about a period of history in the Israelite nation where um, they were exiled. Uh, if this is your first Sunday coming in, what we've been studying is there's a time in Israel's history where they sin against the Lord, they rebel against him. And God said if they were to do that, then they would be exiled from the promised land. They would be taken from the promised land. And sure enough, that happens. Uh, The Babylonian Empire comes in, they conquer the Israelites, and they're taken into exile. So they're serving as slaves and servants in this foreign kingdom, exiled from the promised land. Now, while they're in exile, another power comes on the world stage, conquers Babylon, uh, or conquers the Babylonians, and actually allows for the Israelites to come back to the promised land. And so that's about 70 years. The exile lasts about 70 years, that go around, or 70 years. 
And so Psalm 106 is in that time period where the Israelites are coming back into the land. So they're resettling the promised land. So that means they're coming to terms with what's happened to them. They're coming to terms with what's happened to them, being exiled, with what they've lost. And it also means that they're coming to terms that they're reaping what their sin has sown. And so now as they're coming back into the land, they're confessing to the Lord these sins um, and asking for his help as they begin to resettle, as they begin to recover, as they begin to come back into the promised land. All right, there's your context. Psalm 106, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Who can proclaim the mighty acts of the Lord or fully declare his praise? Blessed are those who act justly, who always do what is right. Remember me, Lord, when you show favor to your people. Come to my aid when you save them, that I may enjoy the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may share in the joy of your nation and join in your inheritance in giving praise. Okay, so that, that starts strong. That's a strong start there. It's, it's praise the Lord. You give thanks to him. You know, his love endures forever. They're like, look, we were exiled. We were taken away. But, but God brought us home. He promised he would bring us home. He promised he would never leave us or forsake us. And sure enough, that's happened. He's brought us back into the promised land. So there's, there's give thanks to the Lord. Let's praise him for what he's done. And then there's a plea for the Lord to work on their behalf. They want to experience the blessing uh, that their forefathers uh, experienced when they first came in the land. So they're asking the Lord to work and move uh, on behalf of their people. So again, start strong. But then it pivots. It pivots to a series of confessions that really um, outlines the, the history of Israel. Psalm 106 in so many ways is like your cliff notes of Old Testament history. And so bookmark it. It can come in useful later on. But it kind of tells a, a little bit of a synopsis of the history of the Israelites throughout the entire Old Testament. And, 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 and there's a pattern that seems to be hit on. Let's pick it up. Verse 6. We have sinned even as our ancestors did. We have done wrong and acted wickedly. When our ancestors were in Egypt... They gave no thought to your miracles. They did not remember your many kindnesses, and they rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his namesake to make his mighty power known. He rebuked the Red Sea, and it dried up. He led them through the depths as through a desert. He saved them from the hand of the foe. From the hand of the enemy, he redeemed them. The waters covered their adversaries, and not one of them survived. Then they believed his promises and sang his praise. So the psalmist, who they're resettling the land, he's thinking on the history of the Israelites. He's like, we've sinned just like our forefathers sinned. And what was their sin? They gave no thought to the works of God. They, they did not remember his kindness. It was a failure to respond to who God is and how he had worked on their behalf. Their sin was ingratitude. Their sin was an ungrateful heart, uh, and, and that ungrateful heart led them to rebel, led them to grumble against the Lord. Yet even in their grumbling, the Lord rescues them, the Lord saves them, and, and, and he saved them for his namesake, for his glory. And when he saves them, the people then praise him again. And they're like, oh, oh now I remember, we're going to praise you again, right? And so that happens, and, 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 and the, but the psalmist sees this, he's reflecting on this, and now the psalmist is able to see there's a pattern here in the history of your people. And we'll see it more in this next chunk. We're going to read 13 through 23. But they soon forgot what he had done, and they did not wait for his plan to unfold. In the desert, they gave in to their craving. In the wilderness, they put God to the test. So he gave them what they asked for, but sent a wasting disease among them. In the camp, they grew envious of Moses and of Aaron, who was consecrated to the Lord. The earth opened up and swallowed Dathan. It buried the company of Abram. Fire blazed among the follow their followers. A flame consumed the wicked. At Horeb, they made a calf and worshipped an idol cast from metal. They exchanged their glorious God for an image of a bull, which eats grass. 
they forgot the God who saved them, who had done great things in Egypt, miracles in the land of Ham and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. So he, would, he said he would destroy them had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to keep his wrath from destroying them. It's like we, we could keep going, but there's, you start to get, see this pattern. They keep forgetting to acknowledge the Lord. They keep forgetting to respond to what he's done on their behalf. And when they forget, it leads them to gripe, leads them to grow envious, leads them to, to even exchange the truth of God for false gods. So if you hear that, that's leading them to idolatry, thinking that these false gods will give to them what their hearts really desire because they forget how God is, has led and guided and directed their steps. And so it's just this pattern that they get into. And the psalmist realizes this. The, the psalmist goes on for you know, the next 20 some odd verses to, to talk about giving one example after another of how they sinned the, against the Lord, how they're disciplined by the Lord, but saved by the Lord. And at almost every turn, the sin can be attributed back to ingratitude, a lack of gratitude, lack of acknowledging how God had worked and moved on their behalf, attributed back to when they failed to notice or, or catch this, when they failed to frame their life up by these experiences with the Lord. And when they failed to do that, it led to their sin. And the psalmist sees this. He sees this pattern and he reaches a conclusion at the end of it. We'll skip to verse 43. Many times he delivered them, but they were bent on rebellion and they wasted away in their sin. Yet he took note of their distress when he heard their cry. For their sake he remembered his covenant and out of his great love he, rel he relented. He caused all who had held them captive to show them mercy. Save us, Lord our God, and gather us from the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Let all the people say, amen. Praise the Lord. So the psalmist reaches his conclusion. It's like he sees this pattern, and at the end of it, it's like, save us, Lord, so that we can give thanks. Save us, Lord, so that we can give thanks to you and your holy name. It's help us remember you in gratitude. Help us have a grateful heart for your grace, for your mercy. And so what's happening here is the psalmist is looking back and he's seeing how an absence of gratitude led to sin after sin after sin. But now he's looking forward. We're back in the land. We're building a future. We don't want to repeat the mistakes of our past. And so it's God help us. Help us be a people defined by gratitude. Help us be a people who are defined by gratefulness to you for what you've done on our behalf. And, I, and, I, and again, I think the psalmist is on to something because gratitude, hey, it's the gateway discipline. It's the parent virtue. It's going to lead to so many other fruits in their lives. Gratitude to the Lord will keep them anchored to him. It will keep them anchored to the Lord, keep them trusting in him, keep them following his plan for their lives rather than their own. And so as they're resettling in the land, it's save us, Lord, that we may give you thanks. But yet so often when you hear gratitude, being grateful, we just think it's something polite. We just think it's good manners. But know this, this is a spiritual discipline, this is a spiritual practice that when it takes root in our heart and our soul, it it produces so many other virtues, so many other fruits. It bolsters our faith, our faith in so many ways that really we can't even imagine. I, I think not only do we see that in Psalm 106, the gate, gateway nature of gratitude and ingratitude, but in Psalm 106, you also see how gratitude, it is a backward-looking practice. 
right? Something has happened. God has worked, God has moved, God has blessed. Or maybe a, a loved one or a friend uh, loved you, uh, served you in some ways, or had an act of compassion, act of devotion. But something happened, and it was in the past. And so for gratitude to happen, you're looking at that. You're looking backwards, and you're seeing it, you're acknowledging it, and you're pausing long enough to express your gratitude to the Lord for it. And so it's a backward-looking practice that helps you stop, slow down, and say thank you. Otherwise, something's happened, and it's like, okay, on to the next. Something's happened, we'll turn the page. Something's happened, and it's, okay, what's next? Where do we go from here? And, and so when that's the case, like if, we, like if we don't stop and look back and pause and express gratitude for it, then even if we're grateful for it, if we're on to the next thing, it communicates in gratitude. And what it does, something's happened, and we're on to the next page, and suddenly there's this gap. There's this gap between what's happened, the kindness, the blessing that was given, when we stop to acknowledge it, or when we stop to express our gratitude for it. There's this gap, and when that gap is there, that's, that's when you tend to forget, that's when to, to falsely remember, and as we've just read in Psalm 106, that's the downward spiral. But when we stop, when we look back, when we express gratitude for it, that helps us reframe our past, really. It helps us reframe our past, reframe our history, and reframe our experiences with the Lord. Because here's the deal. Maybe, maybe you've felt this. Maybe you've had this experience before. Sometimes what seems like small moments in our lives, maybe fluke events, maybe even life coincidences, when we stop, look back, recognize and see that good, and express gratitude for it, we properly frame that moment and see how that wasn't some random life coincidence. That was God working. That was God moving. That was God directing our steps all along the way. And so with that aspect of gratitude, here's this. Gratitude helps us interpret our past differently. Gratitude helps us interpret our past differently. Quick story to help illustrate that. I was like 23, 24, and, uh, and I, was, I was volunteering, helping with the Sunday school class. Um, I was self-employed at the time, working at, at the farm with, with uh, my brothers and loving it, thinking that was going to be my future, that I was self-employed working with my brothers and, and running kind of the family business. And no, no thoughts of, of, of any, really anything else. And, and um, you know, but I was helping Sunday school class and enjoyed, enjoyed doing that. My role in the Sunday school class was I was to line up teachers. Like I'd never taught Sunday school before, but I knew enough people in the church that were good Sunday school teachers. So I would call and, and ask them to come and, and teach our Sunday school class for that morning. Well, one Saturday night, I get a, a phone call from a teacher saying, hey, I'm not going to be able to be there tomorrow, and uh, you're going to have to put the lesson together. And so I was like, all right, okay, here we go. And so uh, I put together like a Saturday night special. I, you know, I, I think uh, it was on the, I, I not think, I remember, it was on the call of Moses. And, um, and I, I was, you know, well, I don't, it didn't go bad. It didn't go great. It was just probably, I was just, I was just a solid morning, just taught Sunday school. But after it was over, um, my friend Daniel came up to me and said, hey, man, you need to schedule yourself to teach some. You need to schedule yourself to teach some. I think God might be using this to reveal a gift to you with this. So, so just think about it. And then he went on his day. Like, you know, he, he went on with his day. He probably doesn't remember that conversation because that was some 15, 16 years ago now. But when I look back, like that was, that, that was a moment that God put Daniel in my life to give to me a word of encouragement, to slow down long enough, and see if God might be using a Sunday school class to reveal his calling on my life. So Daniel gave me a word of encouragement uh, to, to me, but it wasn't, it wasn't just a word of encouragement. And it wasn't until later that I was able to look back and see how, no, no, that wasn't just Daniel. 
That wasn't just Daniel. That was, God's, that was Daniel being God's grace to me in the moment to give me an encouraging word to help me see if this was the next step in, in God's path that he had for me. So the takeaway for you is you can blame Daniel that you have to listen to me preach. <laughs> and so, but, but, you know, like I look back and see that and see how, you know, that's gratitude helping to reframe and interpret past differently. One issue there, though, I think, is there was, a, there was a considerable gap between that word of encouragement or the blessing and the kindness that was received and then acknowledging it and expressing gratitude for it. And it's, it's that gap where's the problem, right? That gap is, is where there can be the, the fertile ground for not remembering or, for, or remembering falsely. And so if we're trying to cultivate this practice, or if we're trying to strengthen this practice, we've got to do everything we can to close the gap. We've got to do everything we can to close the gap. Because when we do that, when we close that gap, it helps us stop feeding the cycle of forgetting or remembering falsely, which can lead to envy and gripe and all the downward spiral, right? But rather, when we close this gap and, we, and there's an expression of kindness, there's, there's a blessing, and we pause and we look back and we express gratitude for it, that gives us an occasion to, to, to worship, right? It centers our lives on praise and thanksgiving and worship of the Lord. And I think in that way, it brings peace and goodness and joy and humility into our, into our relationship with the Lord and even into our relationships with, with one another. And, and again, it helps us, and all that can come by, by helping us reframe our past experiences to see all the different ways that God works, blesses, and guides our steps. And it's cultivating this practice of gratitude to where it's just, um, we said it almost spiritual muscle memory. It's just part, it's, it's part of our daily rhythm, and it's helping us close the gap. Uh, it's in Colossians 3, where the Apostle Paul is writing to a group of Christians. He's just encouraging them to, um, uh, to, to try to live their lives in such a way to where it's just it's evident to all that they've been transformed by Christ. Like, evident to all that Christ has just done a work in their life. And to that end, he writes this in Colossians 3, 15 through 17. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell, dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So three times in three, in three verses, Paul calls them to be thankful, express their gratitude, and to give thanks. And remember, he's warning them to live in such a way to where it is evident that they've been transformed by Christ. And one of the ways that that happens is when we're a people of gratitude. It's, 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 uh, and if it's a parent virtue or if it's a gateway discipline, when we're expressing that gratitude, then what it does is it gives us an occasion to practice gratitude, which then gives gratitude an occasion to yield its return in our hearts that Christ desires. When we practice gratitude, it gives it, it's, it, it's, when gratitude is there, we are making the soil of our hearts and lives fertile for God to do his work, for God to do his work. It helps us grow in our Christ-likeness, and it shows that our hearts are fully alive in him, because we're regularly and routinely acknowledging God's goodness and provision in our life, either from him or from others whom he's placed in his life um, in our lives as well. And then here's the added benefit, and I don't even know if we need an added benefit, but when we, when we close this gap, right, when we close the gap between the, expression of the, uh, between the blessing and kindness received and the expression of gratitude for it, when we close this gap, it helps us, really even trains us to not wait until we lose something to realize how much we cherish it, to realize how much we value it. So we've had that experience. 
right? The friend moves away, the job's gone, you lose a loved one. And, and, and when that happens, so many times we recognize the blessings that they were and it feels like we've missed our chance to express it, to show it, to value it. And that's what happened in Psalm 106. The Israelites, they lost the land. They lost their freedom. They, they lost that blessing. And when they came back into it, they, they, the, the psalmist realized, the psalmist saw that he knew how they forgot along the way. The psalmist knew that they'd taken this for granted. He knew that they fed the cycle of ingratitude and forgetfulness against the Lord. So his conclusion, save us, God, that we may give you thanks. God, help us to be a people of gratitude. The apostle Paul, look, let this gratitude just be part of you, right? Three times telling them to give their thanks, helping, calling them to develop this practice because, again, it helps them all see the ways that God has blessed, moved, provided for them, and express it in the moment, and it helps them show a heart fully alive in Christ. So here's the takeaway. I'm running long, and so I got I to get to it. Here's, here's the takeaway for this whole sermon this morning, and maybe you got there 20 minutes ago, but it's this. Don't wait to express your gratitude. Don't wait to express your gratitude. We've referenced a gratitude journal in the back. It's just a pamphlet that we put together uh, where we're encouraging each of us to once a day, whether at night or in the morning, write down three things that you're grateful for. And it's, a, it's a, like that is an elementary practice, right? That is like, ba- it's so basic we almost didn't do it. Like, is this beneath our folks, like to put this out there? But no, what does that do for us? It helps shrink, the, it helps close the gap, right? We're, we're at the end of our day. We're reflecting on the past 12, past 24 hours. These are three things, God, that I'm grateful for, and I want to express that to you. It helps us close that gap in our relationship with the Lord. So I would say take that, but then apply it into your relationships with your loved ones. And do whatever you can do to close that gap. Because maybe, maybe 20 minutes ago you were thinking about the coach or the mentor or the teacher or the family member or the roommate that was there for you in the moment, that spoke a word of encouragement to you, that spoke a word of warning to you, and you're like, man, I need to tell them thanks. Tell them thanks right? Like now, like you can send a text right now if you want to, like you can this afternoon, make the phone call, send the message, and when you do, you'll close the gap. And when you close that gap, pay attention to the the fruit that it produces, because I, I do believe that when we do that, when we do that, it's that parent virtue, it's the gateway blessing. I promise you that when we do that, it can bring compassion, humility, grace into your workplace, if you're saying that to some of your coworkers. I think it can bring, stir devotion, love, and generosity into your marriage. And I think it can just foster just a sense of kindness when we intentionally close the gap between a blessing received and the expression of thanks for it. I think, I, I, I agree with Paul, I think this expression of gratitude, it shows a heart that is fully alive in Christ. Because again, our response to the gospel is trust and gratitude. And that bleeds into every part of our life. We, we, we see and we recognize the good that God is bringing into this world. And as God help us to do the work of, of pausing and looking back, expressing our gratitude to you, and seeing uh, the fruits, seeing all the blessings, seeing all the different results that come from a strong and healthy practice of gratitude. Let me pray for us. God, we love you and we thank you. Uh, we thank you for the examples in your word that we have of uh, of strong practices of gratitude and and even God broken expressions of this so God we thank you for Psalm 106 and how we see um, 
times when your people fail to express our gratitude and, and, and the psalmist learning and seeing that this is something that needs to be part of the way that we live and follow you and, and hearing the words of Paul and the call to, to show our gratitude as, as evidence that we've been transformed by you, by your grace and by your mercy. And so God, I pray that you would help us do that. Um, God, help us to give ourselves grace when maybe this practice is lacking, but God, help us also have a sense of motivation to then turn and intentionally develop this in our hearts and our lives so that, God, we are a people of gratitude and let our gratitude anchor us to you towards your hope and towards your provision in our life, God, so that we know um, that we don't forget, that we don't remember falsely, and so that our hearts don't turn away, but that, God, we continually turn towards you and declare your praise. God, we love you, and it's in your name that we pray.